Welcome to the podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. I'm your host, Michael Strumsky. This week, I have the pleasure of talking to Lindsay Sitz. Lindsay is a documentary director for the Washington Post. We talk about how she got her Pulitzer, her production process, and where she sees herself in the future. And if you're looking for the feels, check out her documentary series, Throwback Thursdays, with the Washington Post. Enjoy. Today I have with me is Lindsay Sitz. How are you doing? Oh, hi. Oh, I'm supposed to say something. Yes. Oh, Hello. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> that's, I mean, that, that's going to sound Is that perfect? No. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Perfect. Um, and now we can just talk no, normal. I just like to do that to kind of tell yeah, people yeah. that the episode has started, mm-hmm. like the volume is good in their cars or their bathroom. I hope nobody's listening in the, in the bathroom. This is such you know a bad, are. Bad, you know banter, uh, bad banter bathroom music. One of those rough mornings. Sunday, Sunday brain. It's okay. I get it. I have my coffee. I have my tea. Both have caffeine in them. So I'm ready. That's good. Mm-hmm. So like me, you're from you're you're from Silver Spring, right? Yep. 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 And just like Eric Hutchin last week. Oh, well, that's not true. He's from Tacoma Park, which is yeah, but I live in Tacoma Park now, so oh, I was okay. like, oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Silver Spring, right in Colesville, so. But right now, you mm-hmm. are working for the Washington Post. You're doing uh, throwback, your throwback Thursdays, which I definitely recommend anybody listening who wants an easy video every week. And it, if you love the 90s, that's like the vibe you're going for, right? Like a vibe, yeah, yeah. Story, like and it's just like chock fold. It's it's amazing. Yeah, we really we. So I'm not making that currently, but we have two seasons that are out right now, and um, and yeah, I just basically talk to different millennials about a formative life experience, and then we recreate it with puppets, stop motion actors young kid actors um and lots of nostalgia so yeah. you're doing what i'm doing but 10 times better <laughs> not like a guy in a basement talking with the raspy voice <laughs> interviewing people but yeah yeah um yeah yeah i love i loved making that series so one of my faves and i didn't mention this earlier but i i listened to the uh the freezing the eggs thing and i thought that was like fascinating yeah yeah um, and it's so funny that like I really apply this because I wa- I used to watch too much TV. Maybe I still do, but you know how like after you watch a season of something, that's kind of like not profound, but it's like your perspective before and after watching something, mm-hmm. and that's how you know you kind of like that mm-hmm. it's changed your perspective. That's how good of a uh, interpretation it is. Mm-hmm. Would you uh- say that's like your gauge, like when you make something? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um. You mean for me, like if I feel like I've learned a lot in making it or like, how do you know that what you're producing, mm. um, not the grade of it, but like the impact on the audience? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, if I'm applying, I mean, I think to, to anything when I'm looking for a story or working on a story, if it hits me in like my heart and if I feel it in my, like if I feel the feels, that sounds so millennial of me to say feel the feels, but if I feel it, I know it's going to have like an impact. Like if, I think that's the best way to create is if 
you know, or personally, I would say if I feel it, I know that I will feel it in the end in the edit. Like if I feel it from the beginning, I'll feel it in the edit. And usually I know, I think that's, that's the way I kind of gauge whether I can like stick with a story long enough to watch the edit hundreds of times, you know, <laughs> in order to get it right. And I think that's kind of what you end up doing when you work on, on documentary stuff, which is just like, reworking it over and over and if you love it really hard then you can get to the end of that <laughs> yeah <moment>. and <laughs> I I understand that just because listening to your voice when you're editing it's just you must you must love it if you're listening to it yes. over and over again because uh -huh. <laughs> it's just like a struggle between like do I just like, stop here like <laughs> good enough or do I just like I can make it better you know what I mean like are you like the perfectionist or are you like more like the content person like oh man yeah I know it's it's hard to know like to strike that middle balance right like <laughs> um yeah is that were you asking me that or were you saying that no I, it was more like, like in yes. general. yeah oh my gosh yeah I feel like it's when you love it hard I don't know if this is how you feel when you edit you know the podcast but like or you know when you're when you're prepping for your podcast too, but like when you love it hard, you want it to be perfect. But then I, you know, I've heard, I feel like my dad says to me a lot, like, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Where like, it can be good enough. Some things can be good enough and you can like release it into the world. And then there's the other things that you're like, yeah, it is really hard to kind of let go of them before you've tried everything. Right. Like, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers that question, but yeah, it's hard to not be a perfectionist when you love the story. Really yeah, hard. most of the, not all the documentaries, but they're, they're short. So it's so hard to not fill it with as much as you can. You know what I mean? Like every second, like to you is like vital. Yeah. Not yeah. Like, it's not like you can kind of like put filler in. Yeah. Like everything totally. matters, especially yeah. with nowadays. It's for sure. Yeah. It's like every, every second, every moment, every visual on the screen has to be like really punchy, I guess. Like, yeah. And even more so with, you know, we got TikTok now to compete with. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, everything has to be, I mean, I, I guess specifically for throwback Thursday, everything was like, so planned out that like, there wasn't a second that wasn't intentional, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think it's like that with a lot of things that you see in movies and TV. Um, and do you, and we were talking about claymation before uh, we started rolling, but I was like, do you think that's kind of like uh, feeding to that like TikTok generation when you guys are doing that to kind of like keep their attention? Like, I think the narration of the stories that you guys are doing are like, that you guys were doing for the series was fascinating, but mm -hmm. my ADHD brain, I don't know if like the, the claymation was kind of like, hey, like suck on this while you're like the actual like raw content is coming to you yeah I don't think that was the intention with it I mean I think there was always the so the team that I joined when I was working on this series is called creative video at the Washington Post and really our goal was to reach new audiences in different ways and so we were experimenting with lots of different things this was one of kind of one of those experiment experiments so yeah I guess I guess I would say yeah part of it is like how can we make this feel young but I also feel like it kind of fit with the stories we were trying to tell like I wanted all of the visuals to feel really like childlike and like very like crafty DIY in that like textury way and so I think that's why the 
stop motion, I feel like fit in that for me. Cause it just feels like, even though you're talking about a really dark subject, which is a person struggling with their obsessive compulsive disorder, like their bright colors and like felt. And so I don't know, maybe it just makes it, yeah, maybe it makes it more inviting in a way, but, um, but yeah. yeah. I get what you're saying. It kind of gives them, cause how can you feel what they're feeling if you've never experienced it before? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if felt is going to make, but maybe using felt or some type of different medium can make you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. That's the So hope. I do want to talk about how you fell into that role, but let's talk a little bit about how you got there. So I knew you went to St. Mary's for psychology, but how did you start finding film as a passion? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So I actually think at Blake at high, Blake high school, um, they had a TV production like department. I don't know if you remember that when you were there, but yep. uh, yeah, like the morning news and the, all of that. So I was, I, I think actually that's not the beginnings. I will go back even further when I was probably 10, 11, 12, my parents got me like a small little camcorder. And like, I would go with Liza, with my sister make music videos with her and her friends. We did, we, you know, did a Destiny's Child music video in the storm drain in our neighborhood. We did, we did like Lifestyles and the Rich of the Famous Good Charlotte, like with my dad being, <laughs> shaking his fists like the rich guy. Like we just did all this stuff and it was really fun. And I was um, editing those on like a kid's editing software on my computer. Before that, I was just like, editing from camcorder to VCR. So I was like doing, doing that. Um, and so I just kind of like loved creating stuff. We did short films. I filmed like my dad's basketball practices and games. Um, and I would, you know, edit together little short videos at the end of the season. Um, but then, yeah, in high school I did TV production. I learned more editing. Um, and then college came and I was a, I feel like I was like a typical 18 year old where like my mom was actually, my mom and dad were being really supportive of like me wanting to study film. And I was like, you guys don't know me. Like I'm going to do psychology. Like I just went in a different direction. <laughs> and um, so, but I think that was all like kind of necessary for where I ended up because I, you know, studied psychology. I, um, ended up working for a couple of years, thought I was going to be a social worker and then switched back into film. So, but I think that like my time working with, with kids and also um, learning psychology, like really kind of informs like the types of stories I'm interested in telling. So I see that. Cause I mean, after you graduated from there, you went to so I went to Prague or I was in a couple places, but yeah, I did. I studied in Prague during my grad program at American and did some film in their uh, film school there, which was programmed through American University, but it was a very cool experience. We got, we shot on film. So is there like a pinpoint moment when you decided like after coming out of the psychology degree where you're like, okay, I'm definitely going to do film after this. Like, this is going to be my thing. Mm, yeah, no, I think I, so I actually ended up working with autistic kids at a school in Rockville, Maryland for a while, um, for a couple of years. And I think, I think that I just gained a lot of respect for teachers in general, like, because I think at the end of a couple of years, I was just like, I'm really burnt out. And I ended up taking, taking a trip with some friends for a couple of months, um, 
in Argentina and I ended up changing my mind there. I came back and I was like, I don't think I can go back into teaching. Um, and so that's when I started kind of doing some internships and working as a production assistant. And then I went back to school a couple of years later to study, study film and get my grad degree. So I don't, it was, I think it was kind of like a slower process, but it would just, um, yeah, it took, it took probably like three to five years for me to be like, oh, maybe, maybe I can't do this thing that I thought I wanted to do forever. So, um, but yeah. you mentioned your parents and I'm like, I, I don't know why I know this. Maybe I see it through like maybe mm -hmm. lots of Instagram or your Instagram, but yeah. through the path, I don't know why I have this picture, but your parents seem like the most supportive people I've ever like mm -hmm. parents I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. they seem like they're always backing you guys. Like yeah. they're always like it, your dad seems like he's the one who would be yelling on the side of the field like yeah. in a good way. Yeah, but, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that was amazing to have because I mean, you had your parents there, so you can kind of like, oh, yeah, you weren't being pushed to being a doctor. You weren't being pushed to doing something that was making a ton of money. You were, it's more like do what makes you happy type. Yes. I feel very privileged and lucky to like have had like their emotional support, but also the ability to like live, to live at home when I'm going back to school, that kind of stuff, like so vitally important for me to have been able to take some of these like unpaid internships, like that I was taking when I was trying to switch, you know, in my kind of like my mid twenties. So, um, yes, I feel they have been so supportive of everything. And you talked about the three or five years and that's when you kind of, uh, was that when you were doing the video scripts and stuff like that? Um, that's kind of when, no, that was before that. So that's really when I was like, I was doing, um, I kind of got the opportunity. My mom, again, another fortunate connection for, because my mom also grew up in the area. She knew someone that was a production manager on, um, on a lot of, you know, films and TV that kind of come through the area. And so that's when I started, uh, doing production assistant work on, like different commercials, different like TV pilots uh, and movies that were coming through D the DC area. And so I think that was really great because I was able to kind of, you know, like you said earlier when we were talking about this, just like be a sponge and absorb all the, what, what it's like to be on a, you know, 12 hours on a TV set or a movie set and just kind of feel, feel the energy and like, how many people it takes to do these jobs. Um, and then after that, after I did that for a couple of years and did some internships, then I went back to school. And, af and after that, that's when I kind of started working on um, some more script writing sorts of things. Um, yeah. Your documentary, your backpack documentary. You oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking about uh, fondly, fondly Maggie. So if anyone, from Montgomery County, which is probably majority of people listening. Uh, she walked into Leisure World at one point. I don't know how you, you just, did you actually walk in or did you drive into the Leisure World? I probably parked in the parking lot by, in the shopping center and walked over <laughs> with my camera, had some sort of business card, like finagled my way in. That's probably what oh. If if anyone knows the area, and if you don't, I'll I'll set the scene. Basically, the shopping center she's talking about is filled with like you shouldn't see. I mean, nowadays it might be different, but you shouldn't see people below the like 
if you're not collecting social security, you shouldn't be walking into leisure world. So <laughs> you were about, let me think, like 23, 24? Yeah, something around there, 24, 25. I don't know. It's all a blur. And, and this documentary you did basically takes place in a bar in yeah. the world of anything. So just to set the scene, you're a 23-year-old in a leisure, an old person community in a bar. Mm-hmm. How, how, how did you even end up there? That's, it's just I, so fascinating to me. You know, I think because I grew up in the area, I knew like, well, I knew that I wanted to ta- talk to older people about dating and what it was like to date, you know, when you were older. Um, and so I think the way I approached it is I just went there. Probably the first time I went, I did, I probably did not bring my camera. I just kind of went in and I think one of my friends came with me and we just talked to different people at the leisure world bar and asked them if they would be willing to talk with us like on camera unsurprisingly most people were like no thank you really? <laughs> um the, yeah there were, there at were a bar too interesting stories yeah that just didn't want to talk about it on camera but then I met this woman Maggie who was just amazing to talk to she was I think she was in her late 80s like 89 when she when I talked to her um, still like, you know, it had had a very long successful marriage, but like, yeah, then life after that. Died. Yeah. And, and she had been dating this like 91 year old stud and like, <laughs> and they would go on like jazz cruises together. Like they were just, they were dating and it was, it was really cute. And, uh, and, and like, and poignant just to hear about someone navigating that and still finding, you know, finding different ways to find joy after you've had like a love of you, you know, a past a story a life that's yeah. no longer with us and a life story. Yeah. So, but yeah, we just kind of, a lot of it is just like walking in and, and sometimes people will say yes to you and sometimes people won't. And yeah, you end up in a lot of weird places. I feel like when you, when I zoom out and I'm, and I'm like, oh yeah, I was in at a bar in leisure world. That is, that is a weird place to be, but I'm so glad that <laughs> a story so- I know you didn't take the Enneagram test and you had thought you were a type nine, but definitely check into the type type <laughs> seven. I'm going to take the test. Yeah. yeah. Just because the, the phrase I hear when I hear type seven is the world is your playground. And I'm like, it's not my playground, but I see everything as malleable. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like everything has a function, like functional fixedness. Like mm-hmm. when I see something like, like a brick. I mean, it could be a weapon, it could be like build a house, you know what I mean? Like I think of it mm-hmm. on different levels, but that's just, I don't know. No, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And I think I think of like, when I meet people, I think of, you know, how connecting with them and knowing that there's like, I'm just really curious about people. I think that's like what really draws me to, obviously you are too, like, um, but yeah, but yeah, I think that's what draws me to documentary storytelling is just knowing that like there's so much to know about everyone. So yeah, I can I can connect with that. So it kind of connects to like an itch. That's what you kind of have when you, I guess, pull these ideas for documentaries, right? Yeah, I think so. And just really like finding the kind of universality and everyone's like really specific experience. Like, I think that's what I love. Like, I love just like the little details about different people. Like um, I'm trying to think of an example, but with like Maggie, like just like 
watching her like light up talking about jazz cruises, like things that I've never, I've never been on a jazz cruise, but um, not yet. Yeah. no, not yet. You're right. Maybe in my nineties, if I'm lucky. I'm trying um, to think what's that line. Uh, it's some comedy, but it's like, why don't you just, oh, it's, it's the office jazz. Just play the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> Who's, does, who says that? Is that, uh, uh, and I think it's Angela talking to Dwight at some, at oh, so some funny. Point, and I'm like, because coming from Blake High School, like jazz was like a huge thing. And yeah, I, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. But that's the definition of jazz to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of these questions I was going to ask you, and I'm, it, it's kind of moot now, but uh, you've done some fiction and nonfiction. And what do you prefer? Yeah. And it, it seems like you got tired of uh, fiction. You know what I mean? Like, I think you had a taste of it with um, like what you were talking about, like, uh, working with Nike, the lottery, the blacklist, stuff like that. And that was kind of like you knowing, getting the process. Mm -hmm. What you see it as? I, you know, it's funny. I think I, when I was in film school, my cohort of people, it's really funny. American has a very heavily documentary focused film, pro, film program, but like my cohort and some of the cohorts before, before and after me were very narrative focused. And like, I loved doing all of that stuff. I think, so I guess to answer your question, I think now personally, I think I've realized like, I'm just better. I think I'm better at telling a real person's real story, but I still love, like, I have some really talented friends that are script writing and out like making movies and TV. And like, I still love, like anytime I read someone's script, I like, I love it because it's the creating a whole world and a creating a whole story. And I just think, you know, and potentially maybe, maybe I'll veer back in that direction with writing. I really like love screenwriting, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that like, I'm like leaning more into learning how I tell a documentary story now. So like, but I could see myself kind of going back in the other direction at some point. Um, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for people that can direct a narrative piece and also make it feel real. I think that's like, I haven't developed that skill enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that like in doc storytelling, I, yeah, that's kind of where my passion lies right now, but it could change. I don't know why I didn't mention this earlier, but you got the Pulitzer for the, your show. Oh, yeah. By the way, I, I didn't watch the full one yet, but I watched that little clip and I was like, and I was tying stuff from Instagram to the clip and I was like, purple hair. <laughs> that's you. That's yeah. I was just like, that's gotta be her. Cause I, I can't see her face, but mm -hmm. like, based on her Instagram, like she loves to color her hair. And I'm like, this has <laughs> gotta be her. That was you, right? That was like, me. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. So yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a day. That was a day. <laughs> so what did you feel? It, it's just hard to, like you know, it's hard to even know what to ask about like, it right yeah, like yeah so yeah that day on January 6th uh I think I just I think the the main feeling I felt all day because we were inside we were not outside I had some colleagues that were outside um I just felt like we were literally in the dark all day we were in like a dark room and so it was just kind of unclear what was happening in like the hallways outside of where we were because you could see what was happening outside right like on t like you know you my my colleague that I was with was still reporting 
on our live show, she was like calling in to the live show and we, you know, we could watch the footage from outside, but it was just like really hard to know, like what was actually happening inside the cabinet. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think that was the main feeling of just like, just really, really not knowing how stuff would unfold. How many, how many words did you guys end up getting with all your coverage that you had done? Um, yes. I mean, I think the, the Pulitzer was the, you know, the big one, the big guy. Um, and that was really an award for everyone that kind of everyone that worked on the coverage the day of, and the, you know, the coverage afterwards. Um, and I, I also think leading up to it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was the main one. I'm sure other people have also won, you know, awards for specific stories that they've told. We've, the people that were there that day won an internal award at the post, like the, the Ben, ba Ben Bradley award, um, which was just, you know, kind of acknowledging the people that were, that were there that day. Um, yeah, a lot of, there were a number of my colleagues that were outside and, and were kind of, you know, in the, in the mix of that crowd and getting, being harassed by people in the crowd. And that was like a whole, I feel like that's a whole different experience than what I had being inside. And it's just, I don't know what, I don't know where I was going with that, but like a, um, like a panic room type situation. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, yeah. Both like challenging situations to be in. Um, wait, yeah. When you're still trying to report too. In that same, I guess, frame, I, I have a question down here. Like, would you ever consider, I, I guess documentary could go out there too, but like frontline type stuff, like mm. Ukraine. I, I know I saw that you guys had just done uh, like a small little mm -hmm. uh, video on that, but I mean, more like getting out there. Is that something that you would be interested in? I have done a little bit of that. Like I have so many brave, badass colleagues that are out doing that the Ukraine piece that you're talking about, one of my colleagues is in Ukraine for her second trip there and has been doing a lot of really on the ground coverage, literally on the front lines with some of, uh, you know, some of the U Ukrainian um, fighters that are there, soldiers. Um, so I think personally for me, like, I am, I'm not, I think I'm someone that likes to sit with a story for a longer amount of time and the breaking news kind of churn is not my thing. I have like so much respect for people that can do that because I think it's like that relentlessness of being kind of in some of these tragic situations or running towards the tragedy is really, I feel like takes a toll. And uh, yeah, so I don't think that's not totally what I do, but like I you know, do love being a part of the edits for, you know, I, I love like editing. So my colleague that's out in Ukraine will sometimes pitch me stories and I'll edit them. And I am really happy to be involved in like the front lines in that way, but that's definitely not the front lines, you know, I'm like at my computer editing. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. The way I see it is, I guess that kind of news is more uh, utilization and informative not, not that your stuff's not informative, but the way I'm thinking of it, and my metaphors are so lovely, but like a, like a stew, mm, like I you're picking that. like the best stuff. And I'm sorry to compare it to a stew, but that, or, <laughs> or, or making it wasn't being facetious. I love a good stew, but yeah. But uh, I think of it like you're kind of uh, condensing like all these good flavors or good topics mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
sound bites. And just like we were talking about before with um, using um, like different mediums in your stuff and the like short clips that you're just trying to get the person listening to change, mm. change into a, a different person than when they were when they mm. started watching to the end of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just so important. Like people like me who are like visual learners and not necessarily like reading. Mm. Um, whereas maybe somebody who reads the Washington Post every day is so, so good at reading and understanding and feeling, but people who are more visually um, learners, mm, yeah. probably one of the best ways is to culminate a video that makes them feel something, makes them change their perspective, which that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast is to make people, I guess, change their perspectives that people's paths aren't linear and they shouldn't be in my opinion totally totally no I love that I love that goal for the podcast because I think that's like yeah that makes so much sense like you talk to a number of people to figure out how they got where they got and it is no one is linear like it's yeah it's just like you were talking with your uh fondly maggie maggie uh leisure world trip it's like I don't want to be an old person who has the same perspective as I did when I was 20. Mm -hmm. Like it has to change just like the world's going to change. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea that like, you can be a totally different person and you will be when you're 90. Like that's kind of, that's kind of cool. Like who, who are you going to be when you're 90? Like you probably can't even imagine him right now. Like, um, yeah, that's exciting. It's like, I don't know if you ever had this like in high school or looking back at photos at high school, but every like two years, you look back at the person you were two years ago and you're like, man, like, <laughs> I can't believe like, I liked like Green Day and like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or you look at kids that are two years younger than me, like, man, I was never like that person. And I feel like I do that now, like two <laughs> years ago, like, man, I'm a father now. Like, yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. You're like, and I actually think, you know, it's funny. I feel like that like almost relates to how you look back on your creative work too. It's like, I, I feel like I've talked to some of my friends about like, if you don't look back at your old stuff and think that's, that's shit or like not, maybe not that shit, but like parts of it I would do differently. Then that means you haven't like grown. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's like a nice flip on that when you can be like, look back and be like, oh, I didn't like that, but I'm doing it differently now or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. So through your, I guess your, your documentary career and production and stuff like that, have you had any hurdles that kind of, um, I guess made you reevaluate, um, what you wanted to do? Mm. Like big moments, big moments. Like that's kind of, I guess, cemented that you wanted to do this or um, that kind of, uh, or even put you on this path that you were like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think maybe the thing that cemented, cemented it the most is, you know, I can, maybe I'll use Throwback Thursday as an example. Like I, we spent about a year because we were working on other stuff at the same time, but a year on each season. So like, and I don't think I knew going in how much, 
you know, you never know when you start a new project, how much work it's going to be until you're like in it and you're like dedicated to it. And then you finish it. But I think when I finish a project that looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that was really hard. Like I spent so much time, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, but I still would do it again, knowing how hard it was. Like, I think that every time I finish a project and have that thought, like it cements that like, I should be doing what I'm doing. Like, even if it's really, uh, takes a lot out of me last year. Um, one of my, one of my friends who was a director, a theater and film director, um, asked me to assistant direct a week-long adaptation of a play into a film and it was like brutally intense long day like it was like actually I won't say that it was like 10 hour days which to any film person is gonna they're gonna hear that and be like she's soft like because normal normal film days are like 12 plus hours but having worked at the post and and I hadn't been used to those hours for a long time the 10 hour days like they were long days we had a lot to get done it was a very hard week, but like at the end of it, I was like, I would do that again, like a hundred percent with all the people that I worked with, with all like the, the creativity of the project was like so amazing. So it's like, I think when I look at a project and I'm like, oh, like no matter how stressful that was, no matter how little sleep I got, you know, during that week, I would do it again because that was really cool. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think having moments like that over and over again with projects just like cements that this is what I want to do. No, I think you answered it well. You kind of- um, It took me 12 minutes, but- No, you were just saying that, <laughs> I mean, it's more micro moments than actual big milestone. And it's kind of like you're slowly climbing up the hill, just yeah. as Kate Bush would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a good answer. I want to talk about- how you fell into the role like did they make this position for you for the throwback thursdays or was mm -hmm. that kind of like a pitch you had yeah it was a pitch i had um so i had pitched the series to my then manager and she told me to go like make the pilot so we made the five minute pilot um and then after we finished that they were like okay yeah like make make four more so we did that um uh, yeah, I know it was exciting. Um, and then, and then, yeah, after the first season, they were like, do it again. So we did it again. And that was, it was exciting. I was really, really happy that, and I think looking back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe they let us, they gave us time and money to kind of creatively experiment in this way. Um, yeah. Did that make you feel awesome? Just that they, they had obviously everybody likes to be backed monetarily but they basically gave you well I wouldn't say they probably didn't give you extremely creative like leeway but like they were like okay go with it you know yeah I mean? and actually I feel like they did like I mean obviously I was working with my managers and editors the whole time but like for the most part there was a lot of space to be really creative and I man I think I will I don't think I've realized how special that was while I was making it and like now I'm like so special like just that they mainly the time too it took a lot of time because we didn't have a big team for that so it took a lot of time to create it and I'm really happy they gave that to us obviously I don't I don't know you as a person as much but you seem like I have friends that I I know they're naturally smart they could do whatever they want but you just seem like a naturally creative person like 
you know what I mean? Like a source yeah. of creativity. I mm. know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like, <laughs> but you just seem like one of those people that's just raw creativity. Well, thanks. I <laughs> hope I did. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think that like, I, that yes, maybe just like what you're saying about like being a seven, like, it's just like how I think. So I like, don't really know what it would be like otherwise, but, um, but yeah, I love it. I'm like, can't not do it, I guess. So is this something you see like you, yourself, like five years from now, is yeah. this like, this is your perfect job, right? Or do you see what's your end game? Question. Oh God, I have no idea. I mean, I think that's like maybe like the best lesson on like, or like the best <laughs> way to end this being it like, it's so nonlinear. I have no idea. Like I literally have no idea. I don't think journal like staying in journalism is where I'll be in like 10, 15 years, maybe, but like, um, definitely I'm hoping in, in documentary, documentary of some sort, but, uh, yeah, I have no idea. And that's kind of terrifying, but also exciting. And I guess, you know, <laughs> I think if you're truly a type seven, I, I mean, I don't know this verbatim, but I would imagine type sevens don't like to be like tied down, like mm. one set like thing. So as mm. long as you're afraid of like not being tied down. I yeah. That's, I guess, uh, what's it called? Food for the soul in, in that retrospect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to ask my usual question. Yes. What is something that your parents did that you want to pass on maybe you don't want to have kids or anything like that but just maybe generations I was thinking about this this morning as I was trying to figure out what I would say uh because everyone wants to make sure they don't I know yeah crap <laughs> on their parents but yeah it's not it's like oh, the way I think of it is like even if you had the perfect parents that would maybe be the flaw like yeah yeah I, like my, my parents were perfect that was the issue like I could never live up to it you know what I mean like mm -hmm. oh that yeah I mean that gives me an idea um well I think definitely in terms of like what they did for me um I think they just let me be weird when I was growing up like um I don't you know I was in middle school wearing a fisherman's vest every day and like they let me do that and I really appreciate that like I I think that is something I definitely want to just like let my my future kid whenever if if and when they exist like be whoever you know be whoever they are whatever that looks like um and then I I also think that they like have set a really good model for being very therapized like so you know my parents like have always talked about stuff they go to therapy I go to therapy like I just think because they've created that like space where that's not weird like um, I really appreciate that every day. So I do think, you know, I, I'm glad you, yeah, I'm trying to think of my second answer. Uh, I do think, so my parents are kind of best friends in, I mean, they have, they've, you know, fight all the time. Do we see their fights? Me and my sister see their fights, but I do think that it that's a that's a hard thing to live up to when you're looking for a partner is just like trying to find somebody when you when you have like when when you kind of see your parents as best friends and you see them navigating the world that they navigate it the way they navigate it it's just like that is a hard thing to live up to so I think I will I will say that because yeah it's but yeah I don't know no I 
Yeah, I think you you stole my 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 answer that there. Yeah, I did. I know I did. I stole your answer there. Copped well, out on that one. That's like a what is that a a rom com type uh, like <laughs> looking for the perfect like like how can I compete? You know. What I, I mean? know. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely stole your answer. So you're welcome, Bob and Terry. Uh, is there anything you want to promote while you're on here to my followers? Oh, man. Um, just throw back Thursday. I always just want to talk about that because I that's one of the things I look back on and I'm like, oh, I still like it. That wasn't shit. Like, you know, when I'm talking about that. So, yeah, I'll just be like, hey, guys, even though it's it's not a new thing, go watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you should definitely check it out. I, I'll probably look at more of them. And the ones you sent me. Those are your top three you sent me. Those are some of my faves. Yeah. But there's other ones I like too. Um, yeah. That's another funny thing. Like somebody, some people tell me, like, oh, I like that episode. And I was like, really? Like <laughs> I I I totally bombed it. I was talking from like an engineering perspective. <laughs> audience, you know what I mean? Like, like oh, yeah, totally. I guess you're your own your worst critic. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But thank you for doing the interview. I know we been we've been talking back and forth. I've never talked so much back and forth with a person not on email. <laughs> I was just like, maybe I should text her, but I don't have her number. Yeah. No. And I think like honestly, I think I've haven't done something like this. So I think I was like nervous. Like, like so I've been on your I'm my I'm usually wearing your shoes, right? Like, so it's just kind of like like were you overthinking like the whole interview or like, man. I think I was just like trying not to think about it. Like I try not, I I don't like to over-prepare. Obviously when I give like 12 minute answers to your questions, you're like, she did not prepare for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this morning I was like, oh God, I'm like so nervous to be talking. Oh yeah, myself. that's the weird part. I'm always nervous about it as well. I'm like, yeah. it's like a, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like being back in high school and being anxious for a test. Yeah, yeah. Studied for this and like all this stuff. Well, I will let you go. But yeah, it was very easy to talk to you. Uh, Thank you for asking me. It was super flattering that you that you did. So if you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.